on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Spiritual stability demands resting in the confident faith in the Lord. It demands resting in the confident faith in the Lord. It says there at the end of verse 5, the Lord is at hand. And because the Lord is so near to us, we, we shouldn't be anxious for anything. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Hello and welcome to our program. This is Graceful Truth. Pastor Steve Converse joins us here in a moment in Philippians chapter 4. We'll be focusing on verses 6 through 9 in our series, Seven Steps to Spiritual Stability. Our focus today will be a bit of a review and then move in to see some of those principles that produce spiritual stability, like prayer that's thankful, godly virtues, and obeying God's standards. It's those things that we need to focus on, and we'll do just that today. Join us. Here's Pastor Steve Converse once again with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. I want you to turn over in your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 4, talking about uh, stability in our Christian lives. And, and um, you know, there's probably no greater need for stability in someone's spiritual life anyway than at the time of death. If you stop and you think about it, uh, death is a difficult thing to face. But if you're not on sound spiritual ground, um, I can't imagine facing death. I just can't imagine it. Laying there, realizing you're going about to die, not knowing the condition of your own soul, not having that security in the Lord. Spiritual stability is really Paul's topic here as he's going through the, the fourth chapter. And we're studying in the fourth chapter about spiritual stability, and we've been looking at it for several weeks. We've been asking the question, how can we be spiritually strong? What makes a spiritually strong Christian? What does it take in those trying times, in those times when it seems like everything is going against you, in those times of great temptation, in those times of great trial, um, even persecution sometimes? or times of great loss in our families. There's times when we face confusion in our lives, not knowing which decision to make, times of distress and illness, whatever it may be. How can we be spiritually strong through those times? That's kind of what Paul wants to share with us, and that's what he's sharing with us in chapter 4. How can we have the stability that looks death right in the eye and doesn't flinch, doesn't waver, doesn't doubt? How can we have that kind of calm? that kind of uh, contentment, you might say, that kind of peace in the midst of very difficult times that you may be facing. I think everyone here who's a believer hungers for that. We hunger for that stability. None of us have arrived. None of us can say, oh, that's me, the rock. You know, I never flinch. I <laughs> we all fail. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. But I think as believers, we should hunger for that stability in our lives that allows us to, yeah, maybe go up and down on a couple of ways, but for the most part, we know where we're going and we know the direction and the plan and the purpose that God has for us because we know Him and we know His Word. We don't need to read a book to find out God's purpose for our life. It's very clear in the Word of God to give Him glory, to live a life that's honoring Christ. But how can we get that kind of stability? But in way of review, I just want you to Remember Paul's point here in verse 1, because he really starts off chapter 4 with the key phrase of this whole chapter. If you want stability in your Christian life, 
you have to what? He says at the end there, stand fast or stand firm in the Lord. And then he goes on and he gives us basically seven ways that we can do that. That we can have a steadfast Christian walk. Not blown around like the waves of the sea. He wants the Philippians here to be strong. He wants them to be rooted. He wants them to be grounded. He wants them to act like men, not babies. He wants them to be courageous and bold and strong and to stand for the Lord. And I think, frankly, sometimes when I look at believers today and I look at churches in general, we don't have that kind of stability in our churches. Not just this church, any church. There's not a, a whole lot of stability in people's lives. They'll hear some new doctrine and boy, they'll, they'll just flock to it. And sometimes that's, that's frustrating in a way because you're thinking, aren't you growing in your walk with the Lord? Aren't you growing more stable each day? That's what the Christian walk is all about. And so when he says here, stand firm, then he goes on and he says, here's how you're going to do it. And the first one, in way of review, the first thing that is required for spiritual stability is to be in an environment of peace or an environment of love and fellowship. You're to be a peacemaker. That's what he says there in verse 2. He, he covers two ladies, Yodi and Syntyche, and he says, hey, you know what? They're having a problem. They're having a disagreement in the church, and it's causing disruption in the whole church. Now remember, Paul is reading, or Paul wrote this letter, and they're standing up in the Philippian church, and they're reading this letter to the congregation from the Apostle Paul. And this disagreement must have been so severe, we don't know what it was about, it doesn't say. But it must have been so severe that it was causing problems in the church. It was cultivating not peace, but disharmony and disunity. And you can actually even picture these women sitting there, oh great, you know, the, the last part of Paul's letter, and you know, they're sitting there very piously, and therefore my beloved and long for brethren, oh that's us, you oh yes it is Sintik, you know, my joy and my crown, oh he's speaking of us. So stand firm in the Lord, beloved. They're probably sitting there very pious. And then the next word, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, and we talked about that, how that's probably an individual. That's probably somebody within the church. And he's telling them, because obviously somebody else wasn't doing their job there, to come alongside these women and get their act together. These weren't ladies that just did nothing but sit around and gossip. Paul says that they labored with him in the gospel. So they were with Paul at one point working with him in the gospel. But they had a disagreement. They were causing disharmony in the body. And he says if you want to have a stable life you need to have the same mind. You have to have the same mind as Christ, the same mind as other believers. And you have to be a peacemaker. You have to have the kind of attitude that's not, you don't bring criticism to the table, but you bring suggestions, you bring help. That helps. Who wants to sit and listen to somebody whine all day about a problem they're facing? Nobody wants to do that. And so he wants them to kind of get on the same page with each other. Basically, what he's saying is get your act together, you two. And you know what? Put, a, put aside this division, this, this, this discord and chaos and, and disunity. It's just dividing the church. And if you think that your little division won't affect the whole church, you're wrong. It does. It de destabilizes people all around you. And we went into detail on all of that when we covered that. That's the first thing. 
to make sure that you're in an environment of peace and that you're being a peacemaker in that environment. Secondly, we talked about maintaining a spirit of joy, and that's what he says in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And this joy that we talked about here was not based on your circumstances. If we went through a week based on our circumstances, man, I, I think we, any of us would probably be anything but joyful. You know, the world just eats us up out there sometimes. It's crazy. And so you don't base your joy in the Lord on your circumstances. You do just what he says. Rejoice always in the Lord. And we talked about what that means to rejoice in the Lord. In other words, our joy is because of our privileged, permanent union with the God of gods, the Creator God. He transcends all circumstances and difficulties and trials and temptations and persecutions, whatever you're facing. God is bigger than that. And you're, you're brought together with Him through Christ in a relationship. And so spiritual stability comes to those who are experiencing peace and love and a, and a fellowship. It also comes to those who are maintaining a spirit of joy no matter what difficulty they're facing. And that's not always easy to do. But that's what we're commanded to do. Thirdly, he goes on and he says spiritual stability really requires to accept less than you deserve. Learning to accept less than you are due. Look at what he says in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Or let your forbearing spirit, some translations read, be made known to all men. What's that mean? It's talking of contentment. It's talking of, of your humble graciousness to someone. It's the idea that, that you walk into a room and you don't expect anything from anybody. That's the idea behind the word. How many times do you, maybe you go to a Christmas party or something, and you walk away and on the way home, so-and-so didn't even come over and say hi to me, I can't believe it. And you start, start. You know, well, who cares? You know what? You walk in the room and everybody bow down and, you know, come over and kiss your ring or something. I mean, that's crazy. But that's, a lot of times that's our attitude. That's our idea. Because we think we're somebody. You know, we need to be respected and, and, and we demand all this. Well, this, this idea here, let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men, means that, you know what? You're content with just what you are and nothing more. You don't expect anything. And if you do expect anything, you're basically showing your own sinfulness. It's really the essence of humility. It's the essence of modeling what Christ was. You know, all of us have probably a higher view of ourselves than we ought, most of the time. Because we live in a world that tells us, oh, you know, you're number one, you're somebody, you self-esteem, all this stuff. I mean, we have to stop and think, you know what, everything we have, the eyes we see with, the ears we hear with, the, the, the mind we think with, all those abilities, they're given to us by the grace of God. There's no reason why we should have any of that. It's all because of His grace. How do you act when you're mistreated, when you're rejected, when you're persecuted? We should always be grateful to the grace of God which is ours in Christ, and not expect anything beyond that. And that's a goal, once again. No, nobody here is saying, oh, we've arrived at that. That's a goal that Paul says, if he wants to build in your life, work on these areas. Fourthly, he goes on, and the last time we talked about this, in some detail, spiritual stability demands resting in the confident faith in the Lord. It demands resting in the confident faith of the Lord. It says there at the end of verse 5, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. 
Verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. It's almost in a sequence. And we're talking here about in the sense of space. We're not talking about in the sense of time. We're talking about the sense of space. I mean, obviously the Lord is nearer than he was when he wrote this as far as time goes with second coming and all that. But I don't think that's a priority here. I think he's talking about the nearness of his presence. And because the Lord is so near to us, we, we shouldn't be anxious for anything. I mean, think about it. If Jesus Christ came down and walked with you side by side and held your hand the whole day, the very God of the universe, the one that is the risen Lord, personally came down and spent a day with you at work and said, you know what? Started off the day. Don't worry, but I'm going to take care of everything for you today. When you got to work and the boss was upset, you know what? You probably look at Jesus and you probably say, hey, it's okay, it's going to be okay. Even if he was there, you'd probably be still prone to worry a little bit. But it's speaking here, the Lord is near in terms of presence. And so this spiritual stability is, is really based upon the confident faith that we have in the Lord, in God himself, in Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is when you handle, the way you handle your problems, your temptations, your trials, your difficulties, all of those things are a re reflection of your view of your God. If you're running around like a worry, worrying about everything under the sun, I'd have to look at you and say, your God must be pretty small. Because you don't think he can take care of anything for you. But if you understand that the, who the Lord is and, and you know, uh, his power and his grace and all that, his promises to us and the vast resources that he makes available to us in his purpose and plan, and understand that he has purposes and plans for you not to harm you, but to give you hope in a future. What in the world are we anxious about? You know what it boils down to? It boils down to if you understand that God is sovereign, if you understand that God is loving, if you understand that God is in control of everything in your life, and it's for his glory and your good, if you understand that nothing happens to you outside of, of God's control, not one thing, if you understand that he's orchestrating everything for eternal purposes, then you can sit back and you can rest in that confident faith. And you know what? You're going to have a stability even through the most serious of times in your spiritual life. I've seen people in different situations, a lot of times pretty traumatic situations. And I cannot tell you the difference. I mean, it's so, so vastly different when you're dealing with someone who knows Christ than when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't. It's just, it's, it's like night and day. Been in accident scenes where down in India one time, a, a little child was run over by a vehicle and killed, two, three years old. You had to deal with the, the family and their grief. But you know what? Them being a believer, their family a believer, they totally understood when I said, you know what, that, that baby is with the Lord. That child is with the Lord. And they could honestly say, you know what? God is in control of this. We don't understand this. Our hearts are grieving tremendously. But you know what? We, we still believe that God is in control here. God has a purpose in everything. And we must learn to stop and see the Lord's purpose in our lives when those difficult times come. In Psalm 31, the psalmist really extols God as a strong protector and he emphasizes this throughout the Psalms. But in Psalm 31, he writes this, In thee, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. 
In thy righteousness deliver me, incline thy ear to me, rescue me quickly. Be thou to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. For thy name's sake, thou wilt lead me and guide me. Thou wilt pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me. For thou art my strength, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Thou hast ransomed me, O Lord God of truth. What he's saying there in the end is basically, you know what, you're true to what you say, God, and I'm going to trust in you with all my heart, no matter what comes. And that confident faith is the bottom line in your ability to deal with difficulty in your spiritual walk. When people have difficulties that can't be solved, when they get into problems that debilitate them, and raise their anxiety level and cause all kinds of personal trauma, I don't always believe that the right answer is, well, you know what, you need to go and you need to talk to someone about your problem. I don't think that's the right answer. See, the right answer is, you need to get a better understanding of God and who is sovereign over your problem. That's the answer. Talking about your problem is not going to do you any good. It's, it's really a fallacy to, to assume that there's some kind of careful human analysis of the problem that's going to provide the perfect solution for it. See, the solution is to understand that, first of all, I'm a fallen person. I'm a sinful person, and I live in a fallen world. I live in a sinful world. It's cursed, and I bear the mark of, of that curse in my own flesh every day. This is what's to be expected. But you know what? I'm going to rest confidently in the faith that I have in my God and that He's sovereign over all this fallenness around me and all its effects on me. And He's powerful enough to affect His own eternal purposes in me despite of the world around me. See, that's the, the solution to the problem. It's that perspective, that adequate knowledge of God that's essential in a matter of spiritual stability. The Scripture is the revelation of God so that in knowing the Scripture, we know who? We know God. That's why He gave us His Word. In knowing God, we can predict how He is acting. We can predict what His purposes are. And we can sit back and we can find contentment in that. In fact, even in Ephesians, when the believer gets into an intense spiritual battle with the forces of the enemies and spiritual wickedness, it says, and heavenlies and principal powers and principalities and powers, the idea is there that we're in hand-to-hand -hand battle with demons. And it says this, that our feet are shod with what? The preparation of the gospel of peace. The feet of a Roman soldier had to be prepared with something and they wore kind of a, a boot, and this boot was, was leather, and, and there were nails that were driven through it from the inside, and those nails would grip the ground almost like a, a football cleat or a baseball track shoe, something like that. And when you were in com, uh, combat, hand-to-hand -hand combat, it was for life or death. It wasn't just a game. So they needed stability in their footing. So they had these boots and they were able to anchor into the soil so they wouldn't slip and they wouldn't slide. And thus they had less vulnerability to their enemy. And so you know, what Paul is saying is, is what makes you stand firm, what anchors your feet in the gospel of peace. What's he mean by that? He means that you're a participant in the good news. You believe the gospel. You, you understand that you have peace with God through Christ. Another way to say that is that, you know what, you understand that God is on your side. There's only two sides to the war. Either you're on God's side or you're on the enemy's side, which is the devil. One or the other. 
There's no gray area. And what anchors you in the battle is you're confident that you're on God's side. I mean, I read the end of the book, Beloved, we win. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. We should, we should have faith in our God that he's perfectly capable to carry out his purposes to the end. And we're anchored in this spiritual battle by the confidence that I'm at peace with God who's over all this. And therefore, God is at peace with me. And God is on my side and he's my defender. The psalmist says there, my rock, my strong defender. That's stability. You, know, you can have the greatest quarterback in the world, but unless he has a defense team around him, he's not going to have time to get the ball off. You, could, you, know, you can't just put the best quarterback out there with no line to defend him. Say, this should be interesting. He get knocked on his can every time. But it's when he has a strong defense around him, then he's able to execute the plays. And we have to believe that, you know what, God is our defender. And he's a strong defender. He's not some guy that they just, you know, got off the bench, third string, here, here, do your best. That's where our stability should come from. You're stable in any situation if you understand, you understand your God and you understand his sovereign control and his sovereign purposes and his great omnipotence over everything that affects your life. See, the problem today in Christianity is this, and I don't want to make a big theological issue out of this, but I think it, it needs mentioning. I think one of the, the problems in our Christian culture today is that there's a strong reflection on a certain man-centered theology. And basically throughout the years in theology, there's been two schools of thought. There's been a God-centered theology and there's been a man-centered theology. There's a theology out there that believes that man is pretty much sovereign. He's the one that calls the shots. On the other end of the opposite pole is there's the thinking that, well, wait a minute, no. Who am I to call the shots? God is sovereign. And this argument has been around for years. And so the primary difference between those two schools of thought is basically one believes man is sovereign and the other one believes God is sovereign. That's the primary difference. And it's very subtly creeping into the church that somehow man is sovereign. The traditional reformed theological view that God is sovereign is kind of falling by the wayside. I mean, they believe that God is hopeful, they believe God is helpful, but they believe that man is sovereign. And it comes out, it fleshes itself out in this manner. They believe that somehow, speaking of salvation, that you've got to find it within yourself to come to Christ. Somehow, you've got to find it within yourself, not only to come to Christ, but you've got to find it within yourself to stay with Christ. Not only that, but you've got to find it within yourself to somehow accomplish your spiritual goals and to win your spiritual victories with the knowledge that God is hopeful and that God is helpful. And because he'd like to see you in heaven one day, if you could work it out to be there. And given the right conditions on your part, he'll come along and give you whatever assistance you need. But it's up to you because you're the one that's in control. You're the one that's calling the shots. I don't know. I read my Bible. I just don't see that in Scripture anywhere. Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth program, give us a call 
at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923, or visit our website, gracefultruth.org. And now to take a look at an event coming up, once again, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our listening audience. Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 6th, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author, Cynthia Heald, for our fall women's tea. Cynthia uses her speaking engagements and Bible studies and books to encourage women around the world to deepen their relationship with God. You know firsthand, ladies, how hectic the world can be today and the demands that are placed upon you. Well, we want to give you the opportunity to break away from your routine for just one Saturday afternoon and come together for some great fellowship and teaching based on God's Word. Why not plan on being here Saturday, October 6th from 1130 to 3 p.m. for a wonderful time of fellowship and teaching from Cynthia on Uncommon Beauty, Seven Qualities of a Beautiful Woman. All the registration information can be found on our church website at gracebibleonline.org. There's a registration form available online. You simply download it, fill it out, and mail it to the address given with your registration fee. If you have any questions, you can simply call us here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. I'd like to encourage you to register early because we have limited seating. Well, once again, we'd like to thank you for listening to Graceful Truth each weekend. And it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Thank you, Steve. And friend, thank you for joining us here today on Graceful Truth. Until next week, God bless.